If you would, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. If you're using a pew Bible, you're going to be on page 54. Hopefully you know that by now. You've been here for several weeks and we're just, maybe I should have turned, titled this sermon series, page 54. Uh, but Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to be in verse 14. Just a disclaimer as we get started. Um, This passage brings us into, like many of the Ten Commandments, into kind of primary things of what it means to be human. And I know that the world is a complex, fallen place. And so as we're working through this, just know that, that my hope is to speak with clarity and conviction and compassion and kindness. And I ask that you pray alongside me as we look at God's Word together. Um, today. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, Brian, a couple of things that you said, you really kind of teed me up for my sermon, and so I really do appreciate that. One of those being, where was I 35 years ago? Well, unlike most of the people sitting behind me, I was alive Uh, eight years old, and it's interesting to me that the older that I get, the younger people younger than me look. So junior high kids, this is not a slam on you. You just look so young to me. And then the older they get, and then I have this opportunity to do premarital counseling with people, and I swear sometimes when these couples walk in my office, I'm like, are you sure? Like, did you drive here? Or did somebody drop you off? I mean, the older I get, the younger people look. And there is this privilege that, that God's given me. And I've, I say it to you often that one of the things I love to do is I love to do premarital counseling. And one of the challenges in premarital counseling really is to take whatever preconceived notions people have about what marriage is when they walk in. Because here's the thing, just like Brian said that out in the world we're always being shaped by things. Same thing is true in understanding of marriage and what that relationship is. And so people, even Christian people who've been raised in the church, oftentimes they walk into my office and we're getting started on what marriage is like. And sometimes I feel like like the big mean person. It's like, I know you're excited, but it's going to be hard, right? It's good and hard. It's better than you think it is, but it's more challenging than you think it is. And that God's purpose in bringing you two together is way more than either of you, your happiness and fulfillment in life. But God's calling you in this mysterious way to unite your lives together. And the bigger thing that he's doing is showing the love of Christ on display to the world through the way that you love each other. So as much as you're excited about the cake, or maybe the dancing afterwards, um, as much as you're excited about what the invitations are going to look like and what your dress is going to look, part of my job is to say, okay, fine, whatever. Let's talk about real life. And what are the expectations and what is marriage going to be like? And so this commandment, you should not commit adultery, gives us an opportunity as a community of faith to to talk about our story and our understanding of what marriage is and the purposes for which God gave us 
marriage. And then that part of sexual ethics that God gives us to guide how we live in the world. And there's a lot of people who are on my heart as I'm thinking about this passage and as I was thinking about it this week. And, and one of those groups of people that I feel this particular burden about really are the young people in our church. Because as much as things have stayed the same, maybe in some regard in 35 years, um, things are vastly different in other ways. And things and messages that are coming at our children are things that I just got to tell you, when I was their age, I was probably oblivious to. Or when we sat down to watch a football game, there weren't all these concepts that had to explain to me as a child. Or if you just go to the iTunes store and you're like, hey, I just want to listen to some music. Well, like the images that you're going to see there bombarding and the things that you're going to hear sung about are, are things that are giving you a really different story of what that looks like. That God's created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. And that marriage is this thing where he calls a man and a, a wife together, a man and a woman together, and they unite your lives. And that part of who we are as humans, that God, this whole understanding of sexual ethics and how we handle this gift that God's given us, constantly you're being given a different story than what Scripture's given you. The Bible says that, you know, he created us different. And there's this part in Genesis chapter 2 where he says that they they united their lives and they became one flesh. Right? And that part of who we are is reserved for that relationship that we have. And here's the thing. I'm going to talk to you like you're my own kids today if you're in that age group. I just want to plead with you to listen to God's story about who he's called you to be in that part of your life and just trust that his plans and his purposes for you are better. He's created you. And just like if you go back to the story in the Garden of Eden where the Lord says, hey, I'm going to give you all of this out here. You can enjoy anything out here that I've given you, but you can't eat the fruit from this one tree. And you remember the serpent came in he says, did God, did God really say? Did he really say you couldn't have that? And then the next part, he says, is basically God's trying to keep you from something good. God's trying to keep you from something that will satisfy the desires of your heart ultimately. And the truth of Scripture, if you're in junior high or senior high, look up. It's awkward as it is. The truth of Scripture is that God's created you in His image and God loves you dearly. And He would never keep you from something that will satisfy your heart. And the world, oh, the world would devour you and the world would try to make money off of you and pull you in every other direction. And so if you were in my car riding around, you're probably like, Glad I'm not. If you're in my car riding around this week, I was just telling my kids over and over again, just trust the Lord. Just trust that what God has for you is better. And there are going to be moments where you're like pulled in different directions and there are all these other messages coming into your life. And at every point along the way, this part of who God's created you to be is good. It's not 
wicked and evil and this thing out here, but in the right context, in the right time in your life, it's a good gift. So stay the course of faithfulness. Trust that God in his time has designed you to operate in that way. Okay? All right. I won't be your dad anymore. All right, so that's, that's part of the message today is that God's designed us to operate best in this way. And it's as we yield ourselves to his plans and his purposes. The second group of people that maybe I'm talking to are married people. Raise your hand if you're married. Look at all you. Yes. And here's the thing about married people as we think about this part of who we are and the relationship that God's called us to, to faithfulness in this place. It's that if we're not careful, you and I are shaped by the same story that we kind of shake our heads at the teenagers for. That this good gift that God's given us, we have a tendency to make it an ultimate gift and have this inordinate desire in our lives for something that's good, but it's not ultimate, and place this weight on something that, that it was never meant to bear. C.S. Lewis is really good in this regard when he talks about if you went to some random place that you've never been, some island, some people, and they all gathered into some theater, and there was a, there was a tray up front, this covered dish, and someone stood up front and they just slowly removed the top of the tray and there was a filet mignon in there. And all the people in the auditorium were like, ah! You would say, surely I'm in a place where these people have an inordinate love for food. That something's wrong with their desires in this regard. And in a similar way with the gift of sex that the Lord's given us for in the context of marriage, that, that we live in a world where there's this inordinate emphasis placed on that part of who we are. And it is a weight that it cannot bear. And when you are united with someone in covenant marriage, like one of the wonderful things about that is that, like Ms. Sharon said, you make this covenant forever, but here's Maybe God's humor in all of it. As beautiful and handsome as you are on that day, it's only going downhill from there. Amen? Yeah? You'll find yourself a 43-year-old, and like one of your parts of your morning routine is to make sure no hair is sticking out in some weird place it shouldn't be. You know, like wedding day, everything's perfect, everybody's there, your dress is great, you're great, everybody's loving life. But the truth of the matter is, is that as you go on throughout your life, it's just life. And you wake up, and that person on the other side is getting older every day, and you're getting older every day. And the hardships of life are happening, and it's just, it's not a honeymoon every day of your life. And there can be those seasons where if you place some weight on your spouse that they were not meant to bear, that there might be this part of you that thinks, well, maybe something's not right here, and maybe there's something else or someone else out there that would satisfy the desires of my heart. God's called us to be in covenant marriage is that that nobody, I don't think, gets married 
on their wedding day and they think, you know what, one day I'm going to be unfaithful to my spouse. There was no minister, I don't think, that graduated seminary and was like, man, I can't wait to, oh, I don't know, mid-40s, maybe I'll steal some money from the church. <laughs> maybe I'll have an uh, inappropriate relationship with someone and like totally ruin my life and the church's witness. Maybe I'll do that. You think any minister's ever done that? No. But somewhere along the way, our hearts, if we don't guard them, if we don't remind ourselves of who our spouse is and the role that they play in our lives, or if we don't remind ourselves that, that this part of who we are is a good part of us, but not an ultimate part of us, there can be that temptation for us to put a weight on that and to look outside of our marriages and in a moment give up everything that is so good and honorable in our lives and make this trade for something that, that never can deliver on its promises. One of the wonderful things about being the pastor in this church and being around for a while is that I've gotten to see lots of more senior saints do marriage. And there's this one couple in particular that I can remember he was a faithful, faithful member of our church, and his wife, faithful, faithful member of our church. But toward the end of her life, she developed dementia. And so she didn't know who she was. She didn't know who her husband was. And I'd stand back in the narthex on Sunday mornings, and one of my favorite things to see when they were in the, our congregation and alive would be the two of them walking in the back of the narthex and he'd gotten up that morning and helped her get dressed and, you know, he helped her get ready and wheel her into church. And she doesn't even know who he is. And in that moment, that is when marriage leans into this ultimate purpose for which it was created. That it's covenant, steadfast love of the Lord pursuing us, not because we're awesome, not because we're beautiful, not because we have it all together, but in spite of all those things, that God continues to pursue us. So I'm grateful for all the people in this congregation who just continue to inspire me and show me what it looks like to be a husband to my wife and for her to be a wife to me and for us to live into that purpose for which God has called us together in marriage. So for those of you who are younger, Stay the course and believe God's purposes that, and his promises that he loves you and he is not going to withhold anything from you. And that in time, um, that part of who you are will be good and honoring to him in marriage. Those of you who are married, lean into those commitments that you made. Proverbs 5 through 7, one of the really wonderful things that it talks about adultery and it warns you against it is to like don't forget the value and the wonder of the spouse that God's given you if you're here and your spouse is here just look at them like say you're wonderful right you're like don't make me do that right but in all reality it is that we don't look over and discount this gift that God's given us in our spouses and then lastly if you're here and you're not a youth but you're not married I think sometimes as I've participated in the life of the church, 
through different things that I've read and different things along the way, I've been reminded that sometimes we can talk about marriage in almost idolatrous ways. But the truth of marriage is that it's a momentary thing that God gives us for this life. And if you're here and you are single, just know that there's no part of your experience that's less than that you're created in God's image to fulfill his purposes. And it may be that God's called you to that path of life for this season or maybe forever and that the Lord is enough for you. And he wants to use you perhaps in our congregation in ways that he can't use other people to be a part of his mission in the world. We're going to come to the table and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is one of those areas that, that we talk about, our sexual ethics and how it is that we understand who God's called us to be and marriage. And that for, for some of us can be a particularly difficult topic or even bring undue amounts of shame or regret or anything else that we're wrestling with to walk into the sanctuary. And it's really great, I think, that we're ending our time at the table because we're reminded that the good news of Jesus is that nobody will participate in the Lord's Supper today because they are worthy to do so. Not one person in this sanctuary is worthy to come to the Lord's table or to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but it is a gift of his mercy to us. And as we confess our sins to him, and we turn from those, and we place our faith in Jesus Christ. First John says that he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today, if we are here and we are in Christ, the good news of the gospel is that we are completely whole and righteous in the Lord's sight. And it's not because of anything that we've done, but it's all because of what the Lord's done for us. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to, to give us your truth and to give us a path for how we can live in this world in a way that will satisfy the desires of our hearts most ultimately and bring glory to you. We thank you for the gift of marriage. We thank you for giving it to us that we might better understand what it looks like that you love us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would that you'd form a hedge of protection around our young people. And Lord, that they would believe that, that your plans and your purposes for them are best and that they would have as their baseline way that they operate in the world, that they believe that your truth for them is ultimately best. And so I just pray that you'd protect and guard them. And I pray for the marriages that are represented in this, this room, that you'd be at work in the life of each person, that you would allow them to know the joy and the peace and the security that comes from living in a covenant relationship based on unconditional love rooted in their understanding of your love for them in Jesus. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that you would help us to experience and enjoy the good gifts that you give us 
in a way that's proportionate to what they ought to be. And where we have disordered loves, where we have disordered desires, Lord, that you would, that you would help us to be more of who you call us to be and understand how you would have us to live life in this world. As we prepare our hearts to come and celebrate the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to do so. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are in Christ, that we would, yes, take with seriousness our understanding of the bread and the juice and what they represent. But that we would also come with a certain sense of joy and gladness because we know that we come not on our merits, but on the merits of Jesus. We offer this prayer in his strong name. Amen.